Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. This weekend marks 20 years since the attack against the United States on September 11th in 2001. We lost a lot of really incredible men and women that day, and it was a tragedy that will not soon be forgotten. At this time, I would invite you all across all of our campuses, Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, our online campus, and right here at Greenwood, to join me in a moment of silence as we honor those whose lives were lost and those families that are still affected today. Thank you. At this time, I would also like to recognize and honor anyone that might be struggling or having a difficult time with this weekend. I'm talking about people like police officers, firefighters, first responders, EMTs. I'm talking about soldiers, veterans, or active duty. Can we give them a little bit of honor and praise for the work and the service they provide our communities and our country? We know this is a tough weekend for you men and women. We are here for you, we support you, and we love you, and we appreciate the work that you do each and every single day for all of us. Now, I do want to address something that you might have noticed about my physical appearance. <laughs> some of you have commented on this. Maybe some of you are talking about this at other campuses as well. Some people have come up to me and asked me some questions about my appearance, things like, did you lose a bet? It's a question I've gotten. I've gotten, what did you do? And I, my favorite has been just people simply walking up to me and staring for just a moment and saying, but why? <laughs> so yes, I did want to address the fact that yes, I did get my eyebrows done. <laughs> I appreciate your concern. It's a different feeling for me, but I, I really do appreciate your, your questions about that. But hey, my name's Cody Johnson. I'm the campus pastor here at our Greenwood campus. Welcome to Emmanuel. How are you guys doing today? You guys doing okay? You feeling pretty good? I'm glad to hear that. If you're joining us for the first time online, thank you so much for joining us. If you're joining us for the first time at any of our physical campuses, thank you for coming out and accepting, accepting someone's invitation. We hope you have a fantastic time and a fantastic service. Now, we are continuing with a service that Pastor Danny kicked off last week called Thrive. And there was a big idea that he kicked off for us, and it was this idea. God made you to thrive. God made you to thrive. He did not make you to survive. He did not make you to be the type of person who's just slowly drifting in and out of life. He made you to live in a massive, abundant way. But what does it mean to thrive? What did we talk about a week ago? We talked about this idea that to thrive means to flourish, to prosper, and to grow vigorously. That's what it means to thrive, to live this abundant life right here, right now in the kingdom of God, to be in close relationship and fellowship with God. That's what it means to thrive. But there's a problem with this idea of thriving is that your thriving is opposed. We talked about this last week and it is opposed by an enemy. 
We all have an enemy, whether you want to believe it or not. Some people call him the great deceiver, the author of lies, the father of lies. Satan is another common name for our enemy. And in John chapter 10, 10, Jesus actually talks about the effects of thriving when we are in opposition to the thief, as he calls him. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. This is the purpose of our enemy. Pastor Danny eloquently said last week that some people think that, oh, when I die, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to be arm in arm with the devil. It's going to be great. We're going to be taking shots. That's not reality. This is reality. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That is what is real and that is what is true. My purpose from Jesus Christ is to give them a rich and satisfying life. But what's in opposition to your thriving are the weapons that the enemy will use to knock you off track. And those weapons are lies, consistent and constant lies that will get you to forget who God called you to be and what God says you need to do to live this life of thriving. And here's what's true today. To continue to thrive, we must combat the lies. We must face these lies head on. We have to identify them. We have to understand what's true. We have to overcome the lies that are lobbed at us consistently and constantly. The lie that we talked about last week was this lie that you can't trust God. You just can't. You can't trust God, especially when things are bad. When you have expectations, man, you can't trust God. You are the one that's in in control. You need to call all the shots. But what we found to be true last week was that, in fact, God can be trusted. God is in control and God has a plan, which brings us to the lie for this week. Now, you probably saw the slides on the way in. We got the parental advisory slides from those CDs that you used to buy a while back. Those are on the slides coming in because this, this message today, I'm gonna to be frank with you, this was not the easiest message I've ever had to write in my life. This was a difficult message to put together. We're gonna to talk about some tough things today. And if you're a child with us today, if you're like fourth grade and under, this is not meant for you. We've got an outstanding family ministry area. We've got children's ministry, family ministries, the family room. I would encourage you to go there right now if you are a child because we're gonna be talking about some mature themes and ideas. I mean, some of these ideas... Some of you don't know this, but before I was a campus pastor, I was a school counselor at a local high school. It was one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. I loved it. But when you sit there and students visit you day after day and they present you with this issue, this is the lie I wrestled with for two years. And then I become a campus pastor. I think that I'm over this lie and I'm not gonna have to deal with it anymore. And consistently, God has shown me that this is what I'm gonna work on for the rest of my life if I'm working with people. And if I'm gonna be honest with you, you're gonna have the inclination today to hear this message and to hear this slide and to hear this talk and think, you know what? This talk, this message would be really good for my sister. It would be really good for my brother. It would be really good for that guy that I used to work with that just couldn't get right. It would be really good for him. And that might be true. But what I would invite you to do today is maybe put that thought in your back pocket and see how this might apply to you because I think if we're being honest with ourselves, this lie affects each and every single one of us. And if it hasn't yet, I would bet that it's going to. So what's the lie? The lie is this. If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, you need to do it. If it feels good to shave every hair off the top of your head. (laughs) So... Not like, not kidding, for real. Like if you've ever seen the movie Frozen, when, when Elsa gives Olaf the little snowman his own little flurry, that's kind of what I feel like. My head's cold all the time. And for me being a, a dude that sweats a lot, it is a magical feeling. <laughs> so this lie, if it feels good, we need to do it. We're talking about feelings today and indulging in these feelings and allowing these feelings to control us and kind of have dominion over us. This is what we're giving into today. But what are feelings? 
What are feelings? And this is a tough question. This is a difficult question because if you think about it, feelings are kind of hard to grab. They're kind of hard to, to wrangle a little bit. Even the great Dallas Willard, who Pastor Danny affectionately talks about from the stage quite often, the writer of Renovation of the Heart, Spirit of the Disciplines, The Divine Conspiracy, he's a, he was a philosophy professor, had an amazing relationship with Jesus Christ. And even Dallas Willard couldn't really land on a concrete definition of what feelings are. So I went to the good folks at Oxford University via a little Google search, and this is what they came up with. Definition of feelings, an emotional state or reaction, a belief, especially or a vague or irrational one. Let's hang out here for a second. Vague or irrational. And that bears out, right? Because if I were to ask you a question, if I were to ask you what it feels like to be angry, what would you say? If I asked 100 people, I'd probably get 100 different answers. When I feel angry, it feels like my face gets hot. When I feel angry, I feel like I want to punch a hole in the wall. When I feel angry, I just see a picture of Bill Belichick, the head coach of the New England Patriots. That's what I think of when I get angry. And it's the same thing with love, right? If I ask you, what does it feel like to feel love? Well, it feels like a warm touch. It feels like a warm embrace. It feels like walking hand in hand on the beach with a loved one. It feels like a Dairy Queen blizzard. I don't know what love feels like for you. There's a lot of things. Like love is very shifty. So is anger. So are all these different feelings. That's why it's difficult to put your feeling on this. And there's not, not all feelings are bad inherently. Not all of these feelings are meant to tear you apart or tear you down or to have control over you and ruin your life. There's a lot of positive feelings out there. We talked about some of them, joy, peace, patience, love, when it's proper context, when we're talking about doing what's best for another person, all of those are positive feelings. I exercised a positive feeling last night. Speaking of Dairy Queen, they just dropped their fall blizzard lineup. I don't know if you're aware of this. I am because I subscribe to their updates. You can too, by the way, if you want. I indulged and I had a feeling I feel like I want the sea salt caramel blizzard. I'm a better man because I had it. So not all of them are bad, not all of them are destructive, but there are destructive feelings where if you continually indulge in them, they're gonna wreck your life. They're going to wreck your life, they're going to wreck your family, and they're going to wreck you. They're going to mess you up. But how do we discern a positive feeling from a destructive feeling? How do we do that? What would be a good way? Maybe if there's a question that we could ask that could check ourselves against that. Here's what I think the question could be. If I indulge in this temptation, will it produce a sinful result? If I have this thought, and this thought grows and grows and grows as desires and passions and the lusting of my heart attaches itself to this thought and it grows into a feeling. If I indulge in the temptation of that feeling, will it produce a sinful result? I think that's a good question for us to ask. And I think this is where we get this wrong a lot because I think a lot of us are under the impression that any feeling that we feel ever is from God. Even the ones that produce these sinful results, well, everything is from God. And so if I'm feeling that, even if it produces a sinful result, I need to bear that out because after all, it is from God. But that's not, that's not true. And James, the brother of Jesus, talks about this. And he says, God is actually never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else either. So if those feelings that are inside of you that you've allowed to marinate and ruminate and roll around and now they've grown to these big old feelings and you don't know what to do with them and they're thinking that they could progress into sin or something that's not of God, that's something that doesn't honor God, that's not from God. That's from who? Well, James would say some t temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. It comes from us. But a lot of times we try to pin this on God. We try to ascribe these feelings to God and it's simply not true. They're from us. 
We talked about this last week in our first talk in the, in the first message of Thrive. You can go back and check that out on YouTube if you want. So what is the path? What happens when these evil desires start stirring up? Here's what happens. These evil desires lead to evil actions and evil actions lead to death. We felt so strongly about this that we created a chart. Here's the chart. Thoughts, feelings, actions, results. You are going to see something in the environment. You're going to watch something on Netflix. You're going to see somebody at the gym. Something's going to happen to you in traffic. You're going to listen to a song. You're going to listen to a podcast, read a book. I don't know what it is, but you're going to have a thought at some point. And those thoughts are going to grow and grow, and you're going to think about it. You're going to let it roll around your head, and eventually feelings, desires, passions attach themselves to that thought, and then you're going to act on it, and then you will have a result. That's the path. That's how this works. Now, a lot of times with these destructive feelings, even of themselves, like when you take it and you just look at the feeling itself, it's not all that bad. And this is what Dallas Willard would say about this, but it turns quickly. Even the feelings that harm us are, for the most part, they're not that bad in themselves, but the problem is that somehow they're not properly limited or subordinated. They are what Dallas Willard would call out of order. Feelings are, with a few exceptions, good servants, but they are disastrous masters. Why are they disastrous masters? Why is that true? Well, it's because there's no standard for feelings. There's no standard. Feelings are different from you to you to you watching online. Everybody's got different standards. They're irrational. They're vague. They're constantly shifting. They're constantly changing. So if I try to allow these constantly shifting rules and operations to govern my life, am I going to have any consistency in my life? Is there going to be any truth in my life? Truth is never changing. The truth of Jesus Christ never changes, but these truth of these feelings, it seems like they're constantly shifting and changing. That's why they're disastrous. And there's a common truth for people who constantly give in and allow these feelings to have mastery over them. Here's the truth from Dallas Willard. Those who continue to be mastered by their feelings are typically persons who in their heart of hearts believe that their feelings must be satisfied. They must be satisfied. Because if I have this feeling and I don't walk it out, and if I don't follow this rabbit trail, then I'm not being true to myself. I'm not being authentic. I'm not being real. And after all, the most important thing I have is just me being real. It's not to follow God. I can't follow what God wants me to say. I need to follow my passions, my urges, my desires. I need to be real. And I need to let these things govern my life and run me. But what we're gonna see today in scripture, we're gonna be hanging out in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18. We're going to talk about three gentlemen today. Their names are Amnon, Ahithophel, and Absalom. Do you know how long it took me to get that name? <laughs> like a lot of time studying. There's a YouTube account. Ironically, it's by a French guy whose name I can't pronounce. But his whole account is dedicated to telling you how to pronounce names. I had to watch this video like five times, but I think I got it. Ahithophel. Amnon, Ahithophel, and Absalom. And I'm going to give you kind of the backstory, but these guys allowed feelings to run their lives and they never got them under control. And the result was complete and utter destruction. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to begin this story in just a moment, but I do want to tell you this is the part that gets kind of HBO after dark. So if you're a child with us today and you're still in here, it's, it's about to get rough real quick. So I think you need to go. If you're at the other campuses or watching online, I'm giving you permission now. You need to get up and you need to go. So to give you kind of the family tree so that you can follow along, we got two guys here, Amnon and Absalom. We're going to leave Ahithophel for the time being. King David at the time was the king of Israel. He had a lot of sons and he had a lot of wives. His oldest son was a guy named Amnon. He had another son that was far more handsome named Absalom. That's a bonus fact for you that has nothing to do with the story. 
So Absalom had a sister. Absalom's sister was named Tamar. So that would make Tamar Amnon's half-sister. Are you tracking? Everybody following so far? Good. Okay. Amnon had a problem. Amnon's problem was that he was in love with his half-sister Tamar. And this love was so strong and it was so frustrating for him because he couldn't do anything about it. You can't marry at the time. You couldn't marry your half-sister in Israel. There were lawful penalties and laws in place to permit you from doing that. And King David was never going to allow it. He allowed these thoughts and these feelings to grow so intense that in the scripture and in the Bible, it says he grew physically ill. So he's talking to his cousin, who's kind of a nefarious character, and he and his cousin decide to hatch this scheme. They're going to hatch this scheme so that Amnon can act upon this love in a physical manner. Because the thing that Amnon struggles with, this feeling that he struggles with, it's not actually love, it's lust. Amnon struggles with lust because he's not concerned about what's best for Tamar. He's concerned with sexual conquest and fulfilling those feelings of intense sexual longing for his sister-in-law. So he hatches this scheme, and the scheme that he's going to lure Tamar into his bedroom, and he's going to say, you know what, I'm feeling sick. Why don't you feed me? And he's going to, sing, he's going to send King David away. He's going to send all the servants away. And then when she gets close enough to put the food to his lips, he's going to grab her. And once he grabs her, this is where we're at in 2 Samuel 13. Tamar responds, no, my brother, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in all of Israel. What's Tamar talking about? Tamar's talking about losing her virginity to a guy that's never gonna be your husband. And what happens to her? Well, she's marked forever because no other man is ever gonna want her. So Amnon is going to take from her that which she's never going to be able to give to another man. He's going to ruin her from a marital perspective moving forward. But Amnon doesn't wanna hear that. He can't hear it because the thoughts have grown, the desires and the passions and the intensities, that evil desire has grown to such a point that he can't get control of it. So this is what happens. Amnon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. He raped his sister-in-law because he couldn't get his feelings under control. Didn't talk to anybody about it other than his sinful cousin. Didn't talk to anybody of any character that could point him in the right direction. He just gave in. He just let the feelings run the show. But watch what happens, how quickly these feelings can change and why it's so difficult and why it's so disastrous to let feelings run the show. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate and he hated her even more than he loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, Tamar cried, sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. I thought we were in love. I thought love was the guiding principle. I thought love was the feeling that I should be obeying, not the truth of how I should treat women and how I should treat women that are in my family. I thought I needed to follow my feeling. See how quickly that feeling changed, how it's vague and irrational and you don't listen to truth and you can't fill your mind with any truth once that feeling takes control. That's why it's so disastrous and that's why it's so dangerous. And it was dangerous for Tamar, but it got even more dangerous for Amnon because Absalom, the brother, he heard about this and he was furious. He was furious because Amnon raped his sister, but he didn't confront it for two years. He waited and plotted and schemed, and he decided to throw a party. And Absalom invited Amnon to the party, and as soon as Amnon came, he got jumped and he was killed by Absalom's men. Amnon's life was lost because he couldn't get his feelings of lust under control. 
So now we're 0 for 1. One guy gone because he couldn't get his feelings of lust under control. What happens to the rest of the guys? What about these two? Well, as the story goes in 2 Samuel, Absalom is furious with King David because King David never confronted the rape of Tamar, never did anything about it. So Absalom decides to take matters into his own hands. He's going to overthrow the king. I'm gonna get thousands of people on my side and we're gonna go to war. And when you go to war with someone, there's going to be defectors, people who change sides. And Ahithophel was one of those guys. He defected from King David's side to Absalom's side. And Ahithophel was an advisor. So now what he's doing is he's advising an Absalom in manners of war, personal conduct, how to overcome King David. And initially things are going pretty good for Ahithophel. He's providing advice. Absalom is listening. He feels like his worth is going up, up, up because his identity is wrapped up in his feelings. And that's something that we kind of struggle with as well. When our identity is wrapped up in our feelings, if we feel good, then we feel good about ourselves. But if we don't feel good and we're not having success, then we feel lousy about ourselves. Some of you have experienced that. You might be experiencing it right now. The same thing happened to Ahithophel because what happened is suddenly Absalom started listening to other people besides Ahithophel. Suddenly Ahithophel didn't feel as important anymore. And listen to the result of what happens because for him, his feeling that he couldn't get under control was self-hatred. So for Ahithophel, he realized that his advice had not been followed. It was no longer being followed by Absalom. So he decided to saddle his donkey. He went to his hometown. He set his affairs in order and he hanged himself. He died there and he was buried in the family tomb. I would see this so much as a school counselor. I can't tell you how many times I would, st- I would have students that would come to my office and say, I feel like my mom doesn't love me. I feel like I can't make any friends. I feel like no matter what I do, my dad won't accept me. I feel like no matter what I do, I can't compare and I can't measure up to the other kids in my class. I hate myself. I hate myself so much that I would do anything to not feel these feelings at all. And so for a guy like Ahithophel, he decided to hang himself. For a lot of the students, what they would do is they would shift their focus to things like cutting. I'd have students that would come to my office all the time and they would cut their arms because feeling the pain of physical torture to themselves was better than feeling those feelings. And sometimes you hear reports that students would get into these. Not the proper medication that would be prescribed by a doctor because sometimes you need medication to help you out. I understand that. But I'm talking about students who would take the whole bottle. They would overdose because they didn't want to feel anything. They didn't want their feelings to control them anymore. They had no way to get those feelings under control. They couldn't see the truth about who God created them to be, so they would turn to these. They would overdose so that they didn't have to feel anything, which is what happened to Ahithophel. He decided to hang himself, so now he didn't have to feel anything, so now we're 0 for 2 because feelings have gotten control. But how does the story end? What happens with Absalom? Well, Absalom decides that it's time to go to war. It's time to go to war with King David, so that's exactly what he does, and they meet in the Battle of Ephraim. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim, and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men, so Absalom starts to lose. There was a great slaughter that day, and 20,000 men, 20,000 men laid down their lives. They laid down their lives because Absalom couldn't get control of his two feelings, bitterness and anger. Because Absalom never had a conversation with Amnon, and he let two years go by, and he let that rage build and build and build, he took Amnon's life. Because he never had a chance to get a conversation in order with David to go to his dad and tell him how he really felt, he let that build and build and build, that bitterness built inside him, and it got all over everybody else. 
And that's one of the great lies about bitterness. A lot of times we'll tell ourselves with bitterness, it's only affecting me. Nobody else knows that I'm even bitter. People will ask you how you're doing. You doing okay? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. And the whole time you're lying and you're putting up a front. You're not confronting the issue directly. So that bitterness and that resentment builds and builds and builds. And someday at some point, it always comes out. And it never just affects one person. It affects multiple people. It's like a pot that boils over on the stove. Initially, the water's kind of bubbling in the pot, but then soon it gets higher and higher and higher. Then it gets on the stovetop, then it gets on the counter, then it runs down the front, then it's on the floor, and now it's everywhere. That's bitterness and that's anger. So 20,000 men are affected. 20,000 men die, but what happens to Absalom? Absalom tries to escape on his mule, but his hair gets caught in a tree branch and he's hanging there, swaying back and forth. And David's men notice it. And one of David's men says, enough of this nonsense. And then he took three daggers and he plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled still alive in the great tree. 10 of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and they killed him. So now we're 0 for 3. All three men couldn't get their feelings under control. All three men decided to not put their feelings in the proper order. All three men decided that I have to feel these feelings and I don't need to present them before God at all. I need to see this through. And they lost everything. We've talked a lot about the lie today of if it feels good, do it, and how this can block you from thriving. Here's the truth. You will never thrive. Not one day in your life. You will never thrive if you are obedient to your destructive feelings. You won't. What's gonna happen with these destructive feelings that you'll, you'll feel them out and you'll walk your way through them and all they, do, all they will do is take and destroy. I've seen it in this church. I would see it in the high school. I've seen it in our community. It's awful. But there is a way to overcome it. And that's the beautiful part about this. God always provides a path. He always provides a way. So we gotta ask ourselves a question. And the question is this, how can we keep our feelings in order? How can we keep them in order and how can we thrive? Because up to this point, we've taken a pretty passive stance with our thoughts and our feelings, haven't we? We've kind of let them run the show. Now I think we need to turn the tables a little bit. I think we need to take charge of your thoughts. I think we need to take charge of your feelings. Take charge. Now I want to provide a caveat to this. You are not meant to do this by yourself. You are not meant to be able to navigate these thoughts and feelings alone all the time. That's just not possible. You're not going to be able to do that. You're going to have thoughts and you're going to have feelings. You are a human being, but you can take charge of what you do with them. And as Paul was defending his ministry in 2 Corinthians, this is how he talks about what we need to do with these thoughts and feelings. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought that you have captive, especially as it pertains to these destructive feelings, and you gotta make them obey Christ. So what does he mean? Well, let's apply it to Amnon. Amnon's having these lustful thoughts of his half-sister. If he were to take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, he could ask himself some questions. What does God want me to do with this feeling? What does God want me to do with these feelings of lust? Is this God's will for my life? to rape my half-sister and break a whole bunch of laws and dishonor my family? Is this what I'm supposed to do? How can I be obedient to Christ? What I need to do is I need to leave that because that's not for me. She is not for me. She is for another man and I need to let it go. In a more practical example, I was thinking about how this kind of applied to my own life. So about 10, 10 or so years ago, I was here and I was kind of checking out Emmanuel Church for myself 
And we had this environment called the well, which is now the 1824. It's our young adult environment. And if you're a young adult with us today and you're not checking out the 1824, man, I would encourage you to do it because I learned a lot. It took me from being a big, dumb animal to being less of a big, dumb animal. And it really helped a lot. And one of the, the nights that I went there, they had two special guest speakers. I'll never forget it. It was Jackie Anderson and Danny Anderson. And at that point, I had only been to the church a couple times. Like I had seen Danny preach, but I really didn't know much about him. And they started talking about relationships and what you can do with your feelings when you're in a relationship, especially if you're unmarried. Now, at the time, I had just gotten out of like a seven-year relationship. I'm a single guy. I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life, God's will for my relationships and what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just taking notes, taking notes. Whatever they say, I'm writing it down. And they came up with a list and they said, you need to have a list of things that you will accept and not accept some healthy boundaries in place as you are trying to date somebody and as you're trying to find someone to spend the rest of your life with. And I was like, man, that's really good. So I wrote that down. I started to apply it. And if girls didn't meet the criteria, nope, it was a no-go. Until one day, I met this girl named Stephanie. Everybody called her Steph. And when I met her, we got to talking a little bit and suddenly we started dating, even though the first time I met her, she was wearing a Boston Red Sox shirt. For me, that's kind of a no-no because I'm a New York Yankees fan. So I looked past that. I extended grace. I prayed for her. <laughs> so we get to talking and we start going on some dates and I'm gonna be honest with you, I start having some thoughts. I had a lot of thoughts. I had a lot of thoughts. And I think she was having some thoughts too. We were digging each other. And those thoughts turned into feelings. We'd go on group dates. We'd go on one-on-one -on -one dates. We were watching Tommy Boy and eating peanut butter M&M's. Life is good. <laughs> and we needed to have the talk about sex, sexuality before marriage, having sex before marriage. What's your limit? What's your boundaries? And so I just called her up one night. We're talking on the phone. I'm in my apartment in the kitchen. She's at her house. I don't know her location. But I remember we're talking on the phone. And so I just asked her, I said, hey, this is getting pretty serious. What do you think about sex before marriage? I need to know where you stand on it. And she said, I'm not doing it. I was like, yes. Because for me, that was a boundary I had put in place. I couldn't be with a woman that wanted to have sex before marriage because I wanted to take those thoughts captive, to take those feelings captive, and I wanted to present them before God because I knew what God said about marriage and I wanted to follow it. So when she said that, that was one less decision we had to make, one less temptation for the most part. Because temptation's always gonna be there. Don't get it wrong. Jesus Christ was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness by our enemy. You are going to be tempted. We were tempted to make a lot of boneheaded decisions with our sexuality. But ultimately, we tried to remove as many temptations as possible, put some healthy boundaries and barriers in place. And in the end, it was about submission. We decided to do what's in your feelings next and submit to Jesus Christ. We decided to submit. Ultimately, with your thoughts and feelings, you have to make an agreement. Look, if I'm gonna follow you, I gotta do things your way. And I'm gonna have some very evil, very human thoughts and feelings that are gonna pop up. But at the end of the day, I have to submit to you and your teaching because I love you and because I trust you. If you wanna follow Christ, that's what it takes. Removing temptation along the way is gonna help you a lot. The people that typically can have a little bit more mastery over their thoughts and feelings don't have mastery at all. They allow Jesus Christ to have mastery over their thoughts and feelings. And practically speaking, Dallas Willard talked about this a little bit. He talked about what it looks like to fully give yourself over to Jesus. He said, in general, the task, once we have given ourselves or submitted to Christ, is to recognize the reality of our feelings. So you're not denying yourself. Like, you know that these feelings are happening. You understand them and accept them. You're gonna get angry. 
You're gonna get upset. You're gonna get bitter. You're gonna get jealous at times. I struggle with anger. I wish I didn't, I do. I struggle with it. I'm a human being just like you. We all struggle with this. But here's what we have to do. So you have to recognize the reality of your feelings and you have to agree with the Lord to abandon them, to abandon those that are destructive and that lead us into doing or being what we know to be wrong. You gotta let them go. At some point, you have to make the agreement with God that he knows better than you, that he needs to be the master of your thoughts and feelings and you gotta let him go. How do you do that? How do you work on that? How do you practice that? Because you're a human being, you're not gonna get this right 100% of the time. Some of you need a lot of practice. I need a lot of practice. So you practice in small group. You practice in your relationship with your spouse. You practice at work. You practice by having conversations with people who are where you want to be. If someone is further along in their walk with God than you and they can handle situations better than you can, go talk to them. Take them out to lunch. Get them some coffee and ask them questions and write down their answers. Pray fervently without, without ceasing. Pray your face off. Constantly get into scripture, memorize scripture and apply it to your life. One of my favorite passages in scripture and I've memorized it and I think it to myself all the time, resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Because over time, if I can resist some of these destructive feelings, if I can resist these temptations, man, they're gonna get out of there. And here's why. A guy asked Dallas Willard this. He said, you know, so you're telling me if I submit to Jesus Christ and if I choose to follow him with my whole life, that I'm not gonna get to feel these feelings anymore? I'm not gonna get to feel anger. I'm not gonna get to feel lust. And Dallas Willard said, no, 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 no. You, you, mis you misunderstand. It's not that you're not gonna get to. It's that you won't want to. You won't want to because you will want what Jesus wants for your life, for your neighbors, for your half-sister like Amnon should have wanted for Tamar. That's what you'll want because Jesus Christ did something that's worth submitting to. Here's what happened. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, those who have submitted to him, have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and they've crucified them there. Why can we do that? Because Jesus Christ went to the cross first. You'll notice that this says his cross. That's because that's where he's paid for all of this. That's where he paid for your lust. That's where he paid for your anger. That's where he paid for your bitterness. That's where he paid for your jealousy. That's where he paid for that destructive anxiety. That's where he paid for all of it. So you can take those destructive feelings and you can nail them to the cross. Because once you nail them to the cross, that will mean that you will consider the cross you are mindful of it. You are constantly thinking about what Jesus Christ has done for you and what, and what freedom it means for you now. You no longer have to be in spiritual bondage to these feelings. You no longer have to allow them to be your master. You can choose to allow Jesus Christ to be your master and you can follow him and his teachings. It will be difficult. It will be hard. It will require partnership with other people just like you who are messing it up, who are sinners, who are breaking things up along the road, all along the way, but it can be done. And if you're gonna have dominion over your feelings, it must be done. So the question I wanna ask you today is this. Will you nail your feelings to the cross? Will you nail your feelings to the cross? Will you ask yourself this question as you're journaling this week? Will you ask yourself this question in small group? Will you ask yourself this question as you're going throughout your day? Will you consider the cross? Will you consider what Jesus Christ paid for you? Will you take an active stance with your thoughts and your feelings instead of being passive and just receiving, receiving, receiving? Will you take an active stance and will you take charge? 
And will you actively submit to Jesus Christ and his path for your life so you can develop a closer relationship with him and walk with him? You are not gonna be perfect. And that's okay. But you can make progress. And you can make progress by following Jesus Christ. Will you nail your feelings to the cross? And if you're with us today, and if you've not considered the cross, will you consider it? Will you consider what it could possibly mean for your life? Will you consider how the direction and the course of your life could change if you just submit to Jesus Christ today? Some of you are new today. Some of you have been here a couple times. Some of you have been here for a long time and you haven't made the decision about what to do with the cross, what to do with this knowledge that Jesus Christ was the son of God and had all the power afforded to him in the world to be God. He could have been anything that he wanted to be and what he chose to be was the most humble servant in the known world. That's a lot to digest. That's a lot to take in. That's a lot to manufacture in your head and do something with it. But what Jesus did with all that power was he chose to be humble. And he chose to die on a cross, a criminal's death on a cross. And he gave his life for you so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from God. And what you can do today is you can choose to believe that he rose from the grave three days later. You can choose to believe that the repentance of your sins and the acceptance of this amazing gift means that you get to spend eternity with God. You can turn away from allowing those destructive feelings to be your master. You can turn away from them right now and you can choose to submit to Jesus. So if you're ready to do that, at all of our campuses, watch online right here at Greenwood, if you're ready to do that, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. What I would love for you to do, if you are ready, if you have counted the cost, is I would love for you to pray these words straight to Jesus. Take these words, make them your own, and just follow along with me. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, today, I'm ready to submit to you. I am ready to turn over control of my life and my thoughts and my feelings. I want you to lead me. Jesus, I come to you today a sinner, broken. I make mistakes all the time. Jesus, I repent of those sins today. Please forgive me. I trust in what you did for me on that cross. I want to nail my feelings to the beams and I trust that you rose again three days later. Jesus, help me to follow you. Help me to follow you every single day of my life. Help me to allow you to be my master. Jesus, it is in your name that I humbly pray. And all of us said, amen. If you just prayed that prayer at any of our campuses, if you're here at Greenwood and you prayed that prayer, we wanna celebrate with you right now. Can we celebrate with these people? Let's go, let's celebrate. It's why we do what we do. This is the best part of our week. And in fact, we want to hook you up. Thank you. We want to hook you up with a free gift. This is called our Save Box. If you just trusted in Jesus Christ, we're so excited for you. Just text the word SAVED to 65248. And then if you're online, drop your location in the comments or hook up with us and we'll send this wherever you're at. If you're at your physical campus, go to the info desk and we will hook you up with the Save Box. There's a copy of the New Believers New Testament Bible inside. There's a coffee cup is our way of saying congratulations because we are so excited for this next step in your relationship with Christ. Can we give God glory one more time before we head out today? It's so exciting what he's doing here. 
So many lives being changed. We got impact week, it's awesome. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. I would love to pray for all of us and then I will kick it to the local teams for dismissal. Will you pray with me? Dear God, this was a tough one today. This was a tough truth. It's a tough truth because it affects all of us. But I ask you, help us to be humble. Help us to receive your words and your truth from scripture and help us to apply it to our lives so that we can be changed and we can help share the gospel with the people next to us, the people in our communities where we work. We want people to hear about you. Help us to not give dominion to our feelings, but help us to give you total mastery of our lives. God, we love you so much. It's in your name that we humbly pray, amen. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend. We'll kick it to local teams at this time.